just thinking as we start out today, how many of you would raise your hand and say, if you had a little bit more money, if you just had a little bit more money, your life would be a little bit easier or a little bit better? How many of you just raise your hand and say, if I just had a little bit more money, things would get just a lot. Now, there's a lot of hands that went up. And my hand, notice my hand is up here as well. A little bit of money would go a long way, right? Uh, we've been in a series the last couple of weeks called Cliché, where we look at some of these cliché sayings that we Christians often throw around. And so we've got a friend going through a hard time, and we say something cliché like, God will never give you more than you can handle. And it's meant to encourage them, but there's actually not truth. And so the whole idea for the cliché series has been when Jesus said, uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Where if we want to experience freedom and joy and all that God has given for us, we don't need pithy little clever sayings. We need truth. And so we're, we're looking at these cliches to say, what does God have to say about them? And so today, we're dealing with this cliche called, money is the root of all evil. How many of you guys have ever heard, money is the root of all evil? It is a common cliche that you'll hear around. Oftentimes, it is usually used to make people with money feel incredibly guilty. Uh, to make them feel embarrassed and uneasy about their money. In fact, I've got this, this picture. You ever seen this tip jar? You go to a restaurant and you've got this tip jar that says, money is the root of all evil. You might as well cleanse yourself here, right? Like if you work in the restaurant industry, that's my tip jar right there, right? Uh, that's funny. I enjoy that. Uh, I bring up this cliche not to make those of us who raised our hand feel guilty uh, about saying a little bit of money would make life a little bit easier. Again, my hand was up. But when we start a conversation on money, money becomes very personal. Money becomes a very difficult conversation for, for us to have. But it is a conversation that we probably need to have. In fact, when you look at everything that Jesus talked about, everything that Jesus said, he talked more about money than he did about any other topic except for the kingdom of God. More about money than hell, more about money than uh, spiritual gifts, more about money than all of these other things. In fact, when you look at the parables of Jesus, there are 39 parables of Jesus, 11 of them deal with money. So it's a conversation that is wise for us to have. This cliche that says money is the root of all evil is actually a, a misquote out of a verse in the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 6, which is our text we're going to be in today. Dan read a little bit ago. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10. This is what the verse actually says. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And here's, here's what I want you to notice here. It, money itself is not bad. And we have this, sometimes we take this idea that money's bad. And if you have money, no, money itself is not bad. Money is neutral. Money is neither neutral, uh, or money is neither good or bad. It is the love of money. It is the love of money. It's how we feel about money. In fact, this is what uh, it says. It's the root of all kinds of evil. That when you have this love and this desire for money, there comes these temptations for us to do some things that maybe are not the wisest decisions for us to do. And it creates all sort of problems in our lives. Now, honestly... Most of us, when we read this verse right here, we think this is good news, right? Because when we see this, we think, well, that's not me. Like, I, I'm not a lover of money. There's no way I'm a lover. That's some other rich person. That's some other greedy person who, who has all this money and they do. That's not, that's not me, right? So how, how do we determine whether or not we are a lover of money? 
How do we determine what that line is and what crosses us over to becoming a lover of money? And the cool thing is the Bible actually answers that question. Okay, you want to know whether you are a lover of money? Here's what Ecclesiastes says. Again, this is not my word. This is God's word. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, whoever loves money never has, and what's that word? Enough. Whoever loves money never has enough. How many of you are just a little bit more uncomfortable in your seat right now? The tension has filled the room, right? Because honest, when you think about your situation, think about your situation. Where we were 15 years ago, we've been in ministry, my wife and I, we've been in ministry for 15 years. It is crazy to think about how long we've been in ministry. Uh, when we got in ministry, we got hired at Madison House to run the youth center. And we actually took a pay cut to go work at Madison House. And we're, we're, we're plugging away. I think we had two and a half kids at that point. And uh, it was great. We're just lo- serving the Lord. And we looked at a friend who was in ministry himself. And, and they made a little bit more money. And we looked at where they were. And we thought, man, if we could just get there. Like, like they were here. And we were down here. We're like, if we could just get here, we'd be set. We'd be financially stable for, forever. If we could just get here. Well, couple years down the road, we have five kids, and we've got a bunch that are teenagers, and we're at that level. And it's funny how that line changes, right? That line that was here, if we could just get here, we'd be set. And then kids start eating you out of your pantry because they're teenagers. They don't stop eating. And you're like, man, if I could just, that line has moved. And this is what happens. Question you need to ask yourself, how much would you need to be happy? How much would you need to be satisfied? How much would you need to be secure? A little bit more? A lot bit more? Again, this is where the Bible would say to us, whoever loves money never has enough. And suddenly, when we read that uh, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, it kind of hits closer to home when we understand Maybe for some of us, maybe we may not realize it, but maybe we have a tendency, a propensity to think that money is going to make things better. Now, here at Restoration Church, we love to teach the Bible. I have found that I'm not the most creative person, so if you're looking for me to answer all of your problems, I don't have the answers. What I do is I teach the Bible. So, so again, we want to look at this Bible in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and not just take one verse and look at the one verse. We want to look at the context. What is God trying to say to us? And the Apostle Paul wrote the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, Paul had this uh, spiritual son, this mentor named Timothy. And so he's writing this letter to encourage Timothy, to give him some resources as Timothy leads the church and pastors and does different things. And so here's, here's where that section started out. Verse 6, Paul says to Timothy and he says to us, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Now we read this and we think the idea, the idea makes sense. But again, we talked about this last week where sometimes our head and our heart, there's like this, this huge gap between there. There's like the Grand Canyon between our head and our heart. Well, we can understand things here, but the, the heart, which is a control center for how we live, sometimes we don't get what our heart, what our head believes, right? In fact, there's this old story I heard. Uh, this old rich guy gets cancer, gets cancer, and he decides, hey, since I'm going to die, he gets this big suitcase, and he fills it up with money, and he takes it up to the attic, and his wife's looking at him and said, what are you doing that for? He said, well, you know, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, so when I die, as on my way up, I'll just grab the suitcase as I'm going on the way up, right? So, 
couple weeks later, he dies. His wife goes up to the attic. Sure enough, she finds the suitcase there. She's like, what a dumb old man. I told him he should put it in the basement and grab it on his way down, right? <laughs> what Paul wants us to understand is naked we come into the world and naked we leave, right? Like we don't bring anything into the world. We bring nothing. And when we leave, we bring nothing with us. This is what he is saying to us. And he continues in verse 8 and says, but if we have food and clothing, and I want you to circle this word. If we have food and clothing, with these things we will be content. If we have food and clothing, can you, can you believe that statement? Can you, can you wrap your mind around that statement that Paul just said? That, that for us, if we would just have food and clothing and an iPhone 12 and a new car and a bigger house and some new Jordans, like if I... No, Paul just said this, if we have food and clothing, how many of you could be content with just that? Food and clothing. See, we have this weird idea that the rich people are those that have the most, and it's all backwards. It's all backwards. Discontentment. Discontentment will make the wealthiest person poor, but contentment will make the poorest person poor rich. In fact, a couple years ago, I learned this valuable lesson. I, went, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip with my son, Cameron. We went to uh, Mound Bayou, Mississippi, which is in rural Mississippi. It, it's out in, in the hillbillies, the middle of nowhere. And it's the craziest thing. We are in the United States of America, in Mississippi. And there is this village, there's this town that does not have a sewer system. So we're going in this town, and there is open sewer flowing out of these houses. This is like a third world country inside the United States. I'm kind of like, this can't be true, but that's exactly what it was. And so we go to this community, and we have this chance to work with this pastor, and he's kind of telling us about this community and some of the challenges. And I'm looking at this pastor, and I'm, I'm like, here we are. We're supposed to come and serve the church. We're going to encourage them. We're going we're gonna to offer so much to them. But I can't tell you how much I walked away from change because of that experience. Because here's this pastor. Here's this pastor who's gifted, who's smart, who's a great communicator. But he has chosen, hey, my calling is to mound by you in Mississippi. My calling is to serve the people who have sewage coming out of their house. And he can be completely content in that situation. And my, one of those things where, where, where all of a sudden my heart began to open up. And I began to understand some of these things that the rich people are not the people that have the most, but the rich people are those who learn how to be content with what the Lord has given them. This is why, I mean, I would encourage everybody, if you have an opportunity to take the opportunity to go on a missions experience and, and, and allow God to begin to open up your eyes, to change your heart through that experience where you can see, hey, there's more going on this world other than just our little Christian bubble here in Yakima, other than in the Yakima Valley, there's these crazy things happening in the world. Discontentment will make the wealthiest person rich, but contentment, like this pastor, will make the richest person, no, will make the poorest person rich. I got to get this right. And too long, we, too, for too long, we viewed this as being backwards. Rich are not the people who have learned, who, who not the people have the most, the people who have learned how to be content. So Paul continues in verse 9. 
And he says, but those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through that craving that some have wandered away from their faith and pierced them with many pangs. I wonder, how many of you know somebody like that? When we talk about the desire to be rich and how it leads us down all these bad places, how many of you knew someone like that where they began to pursue money and wealth and all that it came, and pretty soon they begin to walk away from God, right? Those people, they begin to, to sacrifice their family on the altar of success where no longer can I be present with my family because now I've got to go and chase the mighty dollar. People who have uh, become overwhelmed with debt, because again, if rich is having all the stuff, we can, we can take loans out and get it all. Then you become overwhelmed with debt. And it eats away at you. People who sacrifice their family and relationships because of money. How many of you know somebody who had some sort of conflict with someone in their family regarding money? And now those people no longer talk. It's sad. But most of us can think of people in our circumstance, in our circles, that have been through that situation. Listen, money itself, it's not wrong. It's not evil. It's not wrong for us to be wealthy. The issue is how we view our money. The issue is if we love money. Because then it becomes dangerous and it leads us to all these dangerous places. It's incredibly dangerous, especially in our American society. In fact, this is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You will either, you cannot serve God and money. And I think it's interesting, as Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this word, you cannot serve God in money. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, you cannot serve God and sex. He didn't say, you cannot serve God and popularity. He didn't say, you cannot serve God and power. He specifically said, God and money. And why is that? Because for many of us, especially in our American society, money will be the, the greatest longing of our heart. Money will be the greatest competitor for our heart. It's always going to be this, this great competitor for us. And so it's important that we get it right. It's important that we look and say, God, would you speak into this issue? W would you give me some wisdom here? Would you give me some conviction here? We've got to get our hearts around this topic because it will be the, the number one temptation for us. Again, the, the issue is not money. Money is not bad in itself. It's how we view money. And if we view that money is about me, if we view money as a way to happiness and security and satisfaction, it leads us to all sorts of trouble. But, but what about the positive aspects of money? Here's what Deuteronomy chapter 8 says. Deuteronomy 8 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. It even says, Scripture even says, hey, hey, God will often lead people to be able to assume wealth. Not that God, again, God, God didn't create money to be evil. God created money as a gift from Him. And if we understand that, if we understand, here's what we have to understand about money. Is money is a gift from God that is meant to be maximized for His glory. And this is what you need to understand about money. Money is a gift from God that is meant to be maximized for God's glory. This is where uh, you don't need to be embarrassed. You don't need to be ashamed if God has blessed you. 
If you have resources, if God has given you some money, you don't need to be embarrassed about that. It's a gift from God. You don't need to justify it. You don't need to make excuses about it. It's a gift. I mean, I mean, think about this. Like, have you ever seen somebody who begins to make excuses for their wealth? Well, you know, I just, I invested at the right time, and, you know, it's an excuse. Have you ever seen anybody excuse like any other blessing from God? Like, yeah, you know, I broke my leg and I had cancer, but then God healed me because, you know, it wasn't really that bad of a cancer. You don't make an excuse for that. You say it is a blessing from God. God did this. God healed me. God gave me victory over this. Yet we make excuses when it comes to God's blessing of our wealth. Don't excuse it. Recognize if God's given you resources, recognize it for what it is. It is a blessing from God. And you take that blessing and you leverage it for the kingdom of God to make a difference in the world around us. In fact, this is what Paul is going to continue. And he's going to get in our face, verse 17. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their uh, hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set their hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, again, we oftentimes we run right past that verse, right? Because he says, as for the rich in this present age, and we think rich, I'm not rich. Rich are those people over there. Remember, rich are those people that have more than I have. Like, I'm not rich. And we read this, and most of us have hundreds of dollars in our, of technology in our pockets and in our purse, right? Oh, I'm not rich. I just got this thing that cost a couple hundred dollars in my pocket. Like, I'm not rich as I drove my car to church this morning, which if you own a car, that makes you in the top 10 percentile of wealth in the entire world. If you own a car, how many of you own more than one car? Think about the, what that makes you look like in terms of the world. And when you leave church here today, what are you going to do? You're going to get back in your car. You're going to drive past five or six restaurants until you get to the right one. You're going to get to the right one. And then you're going to go in, and you're going to read the menu, and your wife's going to say, well, I don't know what to get. What should I get? And then you're going to order it, and then the waiter's going to take longer than you think, and you're going to complain when the waiter takes 15 minutes to bring you the food that you never cooked and serves you the food, and we're going to complain about it. And then we're going to get back in our car, and you're going to drive home into your climate-controlled house where when it's hot outside, you can turn the A.C. up, and then you can turn it back down because you put it up too high. Nobody wants to pay the outrageous cost. And when it gets cold outside, you can turn the heat up in your climate-controlled house. And then you can lay down on your couch and turn on the, the flat screen that's hung on your wall and search through hundreds of channels of television. Or you can stream movies on that flat screen. But we're, we're not rich. That's somebody else. That's somebody else. Now, what he says is, rich in this present age. You're rich. I'm rich. We are all rich in comparison. Don't apologize for it. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't, don't feel bad about it. Recognize it for what it is. Recognize that the resources God has given you is a blessing from God. You, you don't deserve it. You were born into it. Do you understand that? Like, you could have been born someplace else. You could have been born in a different country. And then all these blessings that you have that you think, well, that doesn't make me rich. And someone from another country would say, that's incredible. You are in a climate-controlled house. 
You can just tell someone to bring you food. You can drive anywhere you want in your car. You can have all sorts of games and music and all sorts of stuff in that thing in your pocket. Listen, you and I, we are rich in this present age. Don't apologize for it. Recognize it. And here's what Paul says to us who are rich. To us who are rich. He says, those who are rich in this present age, he commands them not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put our hope in God. You ever notice sometimes we have that tendency to put our hope in our money? To put our hope in our resources? Which is why when I ask that question, how many of you, if you had a little bit more money, your life would be a little bit better? Why so many of us raised our hands? Because we look and we say, money, that is where I'm going to get these things. Money promises what only God provides. Like, do you understand this? Money promises what only God can provide. Money promises happiness. If we think we have enough money, man, then we can go buy whatever we want. And we'll be set. We'll be happy. Right? That's what money promises. Money promises you security. Some of you in this room, you're looking and thinking, man, if I could just get my car paid off, if I could just get out of this credit card debt, if I could just get enough of a savings in my bank, then I would be comfortable. Then I could breathe a little bit easier. Then I could be secure. Honestly, those aren't bad things, but where are you putting your hope? You're putting your hope in money to give you security instead of God. We think money, man, if I have a little money, then I will have significance, right? Because I can drive to your party. I can drive up to your house. We're going to have a nice little time. And I drive up in my hoopty little car that backfires every once in a while. That sometimes blows smoke out the back. That has a muffler dragging. And I'll feel a little bit embarrassed. And I think, you know what? I just need that new car. I just need that new car. I need those, those new jeans. I need that designer purse. I need these things so I have the right look. Because we look at our resources and our money, and we base our, our, our significance on what kind of stuff we have and how we look. You recognize these things about you? When you think about your happiness, when you think about your security in this world, when you think about your significance, how many times are we looking towards our money to provide those things for us instead of God? Money promises the deepest needs of our hearts. They promise what only God can provide. Do you agree with that statement? Do you believe that statement? That those deep longings for your heart, the need for joy and happiness, the need for security, the need for significance, do you understand they're not going to be found in money? They're only going to be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ in a relationship with Him. That He becomes our joy. That He becomes our security. That He becomes our significance. This is where you need to understand money. Having money, it won't keep your kids off of drugs. Like, it won't keep your kids out of trouble. Having money, it's not going to make your spouse love you anymore. Having money is not going to solve your, your marital problems. Having money isn't going to make you more secure in this world. Only Jesus does that. And how many of us, we get lost trying to pursue these things? Because the less Jesus we have in our lives... The less Jesus we have in our lives, the greater that money appeals to us. Where we don't have Jesus, we don't have that joy that he offers us. 
We don't have that daily relationship when he is speaking significance into our lives. We don't have that daily relationship with him where he's saying, I am your security. And so all of a sudden, money begins to offer those things. And if you have enough money, you'll be happy. If you have enough money, you'll be secure. If you have enough money, you'll be significant. And so many of us, we are searching for things that money offers that will never satisfy us. Because, listen, you will never, ever, 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 ever have enough. There's always going to be something more. There's always something that's going to long to our hearts to say more, 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 more. What you need more of? You need more Jesus. You need more of Jesus' grace. You need more peace. You need more assurance. You need more of his presence. You need more of his power in your life. That's what you need. What you need is you need to know him. You need to know that he is your everything. You need to know that he is your sustainer, that he is the bread of life, that he is living water, that he is your rock, that he is your assurance. Not money. Money comes and goes. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life, and I have come to give it to you abundantly. If we would just understand that. And suddenly, when you have more of him, when you have the relationship with him, when you're pursuing him, when you have that intimacy with him, Pretty soon you're no longer craving the things of this world. Because it has been, your deepest longings have been satisfied in Jesus. That's how it works. When we pursue him. Last verse Paul's going to give us. He says, they, that's us. That's those of us who are rich in this present day and age. He says, they are to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I love that statement, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. He started out and he said, godliness with contentment is great gain, and now he is saying, be rich in good works. Be generous with what the Lord has blessed you with, and take hold of that which is truly life. So the life that we're searching for, the life of peace and security and significance and happiness and joy, the life that we're longing for, it's not found in material things. It's not found in money. It is found in contentment. It is found in generosity. It is found in putting our hope in God. If you understand the flow of what Paul is trying to say to us, this is what he's trying to speak to us. He says, the antidote, you know what the antidote to loving money is? You know how you break the power of the love of money in your life and in your heart? It's through generosity. It's through generosity. The power of money in our hearts is broken through our generosity. Kind of, you heard that story of the little uh, monkey, and they put a little nut inside, a, inside a, a, a bottle, a glass jar. The monkey goes in, and as he's got his hand closed, he's trying to pull that thing out, and he can't get it. His hand's stuck. And that's us. We're holding on to money. Money's going to make me happy, and our hand is stuck in that jar. But as soon as we open up our hand, that's when God begins to change us. That's when we begin to experience that freedom. Listen, money talks. Money talks. What is your money saying about you? Does, it, does, does money speak to your fear and anxiety in this life? 
Does money, does money speak to your need for more, your, your love for money? When you look at your budget, when you look at your bank statement and your credit card statement, is money used to maximize yourself and to provide you significance and security and happiness? Or is money used to maximize the kingdom of God? What's your budget look like? Here's what I want to do as, as an application today. I want to do two things. Number one, I want to acknowledge that money can be a very difficult subject. And, and it's one of these things that we, we need to continue to have these conversations about because it is going to be the number one temptation for us. And so number one, I want to give you a resource. I want to offer you a resource. We have these books called uh, uh, Total Money Makeover. It is available on the resource table, $10. And it is the simplest way. My wife and I went through this 10 years ago. And just to be able to say, God, would you give me wisdom regarding money? God, would you help me be wise about, and help me understand how, why you've given us money and how I can use it to maximize your kingdom? Listen, this is one of the greatest resources that we have been able to go through, and it has been revolutionary for us. So if you're one of those people and you're saying, man, money, I get it, I shouldn't love it, I should figure it out. Listen, I encourage you, pick up this book, find another couple and go through it together. $10, it's a steal. It's a steal. You can buy it for $19 on Amazon. So this is a deal for you. 10 bucks. pick it up at the resource table. I encourage you to go through that. Uh, get wisdom regarding finances under control so you can use what God has given you to maximize the kingdom of God. Second thing I want to invite you to do today is an application is I want to invite you to practice generosity. See, here at Restoration Church, we've got a, a team of 14 people. There's 14 people out of our church that in three weeks from today, three weeks from yesterday, are traveling to uh, El Hido Papalote, Mexico, Baja Peninsula. And they're going down to Mexico to, uh, with an opportunity to gather 30 different pastors to grab the church leaders from 30 churches along the Baja Peninsula to bring them and their wives and their families together to love on them. To love on them, to encourage them, to, to, to speak into their lives, to, to uh, encourage them in, in what God has called them to do, and to spend a couple days loving on them, and then to send them back to their communities. To send them back to their towns and their villages and their cities to do what we can't do, which is to love their city day in and day out for the next couple of years. Giving these families a couple days of relax relaxation, some encouragement, some fun, to fill their cup so they can go back and, and do the work of the ministry. And as we have worked together with this, funder, with this missions team, they, the, this mission team has funded uh, all of their costs. And we've got about $6,000 left. This $6,000 doesn't cover our costs. This $6,000 covers the cost of the families who are going to attend. This covers their food. This covers some of them their transportation. This covers them uh, their hotel stay. This covers some resources that we can put into their hands so they can go back and teach and give that to the people that they work with. So what I want to invite you to do today, I want to invite you to practice generosity. You might have seen when you came in, there's this black cloth out here. And we have 115 envelopes with a dollar amount. I can't hold these all up. There we go. A dollar amount from number one, one dollar. This one actually is $22. It's not one, but you can get the idea. All the way to $115. If everyone at this church were to take one envelope, Again, the highest amount that you could give is $115. If every single person in this church took one envelope, we would raise all $6,000 that are needed for these families to attend this conference. 
Now, I know some of you are saying, well, that's a step of faith for me. Like, I don't know where that's coming from. Listen, that's what faith is. And when we talk about learning how to put our dependence on God, it's a step of faith. It's not something we always do because it makes sense. When we trusted Christ as our Savior, it was a step of faith. God, I'm following you. God, I'm committing my life to you. And so for some of you, taking an envelope of $22, man, that's a step of faith for you. I encourage you, take a step of faith and see how God blesses it. Some of you, you're going to say, well, I've got some resources behind me. The Lord has, has blessed me. Listen, take one of the bigger ones. Take this one. I'm not taking it. I actually took it just to show you. You can have this one if you want it. And if you want to give above and beyond this, if you want to double this figure or triple or add a zero to the end of it, like I got no problem with that. I'll tell you, all the resources we, we, we bring in above and beyond that $6,000 will go back into these pastors. Go back into resourcing them and encouraging them and equipping them. Listen, and if you, today if you found this message convicting to your soul, again, let me tell you, the antidote to the love of money is to be more generous. If you're a young person in here today, teenager, listen, you have a part in this. You have a part in this. And if you want to understand what it means to follow God, and to have God do something beautiful in your life, take an envelope. We're giving you two weeks. We're asking for envelopes to be back on June 16th. You've got a couple weeks to figure it out. That means if you're a young person, it means you call grandma and grandpa and say, hey, can I mow a yard for you? Can I make a little bit of money? See what I'm talking? I'm talking to you. Grandma and grandpa call. They need their lawn mowed. Just kidding. Restoration Church, I love y'all. And, and this has been one of those practical and hopefully convicting messages. It's been for me. Because again, the number one temptation to our heart is going to be money. So we've got to be a people who are willing to have a conversation. Who are willing to look at ourselves and not say that's somebody else. Now perhaps God has blessed us. And that's a good thing. And God has blessed us with the intent that we would maximize what he has given us for his kingdom. So Restoration Church, that's our message today. Let me pray for you.